You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Thank you, Pastor Lisa. Well, good morning. I hope uh, this morning that you're excited as I am to be here. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you're online, thank you for being here. You know, it's great to be able to pray over babies. Uh, it's great to be able to bless families. Um, I tried to sneak my baby into today, but my wife's like, not quite yet. Uh, if you don't know, we had our little one just a few weeks ago, uh, and it's an adventure. Uh, for us, it was number eight, and I was talking to my wife this morning. We forgot. <laughs> yeah, she's done all the hard work. Uh, we forgot how much sleep we give up. Right, it's very true. You know, I, it's, it's amazing uh, to be able to, to stand here in front of you this morning and to serve here at Word of Life uh, as the administrator for Word of Life Christian Academy. You know, I was, uh, as I was finalizing my notes this week, I remembered and I realized I've just hit my one-year anniversary here. Uh, it was this past week, a year ago. Right, yeah. Somebody's excited, uh-oh. Uh, that, I, that I stepped in uh, to the role of administrator and started experiencing exactly what what all of that entails, and it's an exciting thing to be doing. You know, I'm excited. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here at this time. Uh, I really believe that God has placed uh, some great anointing under pastors Tom and Megan, uh, and that has flowed out into the leadership team. Uh, it's a great, great time to be a part of Word of Life. You guys should be excited about that. Amen. I want to give just a quick update on the school since I'm here this morning, and they told me I could. Uh, you know, the school is, is amazing. It's growing. Uh, God is using it. We have a great staff. Uh, we've brought on a, a few more teachers this year, or some new staff members, I should say. I wanted to say thank you. Uh, we put out uh, some of those needs lists as we, we've remodeled some of the rooms, and we have new staff coming in, and you guys have met some of those needs. Thank you for doing that, uh, whether it was through giving, like the gift cards, uh, that's definitely helpful, or right out purchasing stuff. Uh, that's a big deal. It means a lot. Um, on, on a practical side, I've experienced this school in so many different ways. You know, when Pastor Tom uh, brought me on last year, he told us that it was one of the biggest ministries, if not the biggest outreach for the church, and that's very true. Uh, as we've kind of looked at the numbers over the past few weeks, what we have for registration for this coming year, it's becoming increasingly obvious how um, some parents have become desperate for different types of education. This isn't anything against the public school system. Um, I know lots of public educators that are very passionate and very, very good at what they do. But our numbers now are showing probably around 40% of our student body comes from unchurched homes. And they're bringing them into this house, the house where I grew up, for their education. They're bringing them into this house where we get to teach them about Jesus. Where they get to have an educational experience in a setting that is safe and spirit-filled and loving. It's amazing. And that's a testament, here's a transition, right? To you, or God, to you guys, to your support of the church, to your support of the school, and it's a testament to God's goodness, which is actually what we're talking about this morning. I'm not sure about you, but I, I've been enjoying this, year's sermon, this summer sermon series set apart. Um, I like fruit. Uh, I like planting things and watching them grow. Typically, that's not how it works for me. 
but it's, it's been an exciting series to follow along with. Uh, I hope, I hope, I hope uh, that you've been doing that uh, with us. But we're talking about fruit, and I, I went back and I looked up the definition for myself. Pastors Tom and Megan, they've done an awesome job. All of the speakers so far have done great. But I went to my old friend Merriam-Webster. And according to her, this is what she said fruit can be defined as. It's a product of plant growth. Okay, that one's kind of obvious. It's an edible, reproductive part of the plant. Another definition of fruit. It's a product of fertilization. Okay, showing a little bit of work there. The stage of bearing fruit. Fruit is also offspring. Fruit is also the effect or consequence of an action or operation. Now, we've already established that the use of fruit here is in the singular. So the fruit of the Spirit, as we're going to read in a moment out of Galatians 5, isn't many different things that can happen. It's one thing happening in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's looking at how it can be described in so many different ways. It's one result with many different characteristics. If you have a Bible or an app, or maybe you can just read on the screen, we're in Galatians 5 this summer. I'm reading verses 22. I'm actually going all the way through 25 because it has a little bit to do with goodness this morning, so bear with me. It says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that's mine, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul goes on and he says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Father, I thank you for this word. We thank you for the encouragement that knowing that you are going to help us bear fruit brings to us. Father, we pray as we learn something new this morning that that seed as well would sit deep within our hearts and it would grow to an amazing truth. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Now, Paul takes his knowledge of fruit and uses it to describe what happens to the believer when we put our trust in the saving power of Jesus. And we begin to walk in this relationship with him. When we acknowledge that he is Lord of our lives, and we confess our sin, and we confess our failures, and we start to walk in this faith. It's at that point that the Holy Spirit comes in and, and starts working inside of us and starts planting this seed of fruit. And then we start bearing fruit. We start looking like love and joy and peace. Sometimes we look like patience. If you ask my kids, sometimes we don't, but either way. It's when we start looking, when we put our trust in God. It's when we start working on the inside. We start bearing this fruit. Matter of fact, in this section of Galatians, Paul is telling the church what the outcome of their conversion would be. And there's a reason he's doing that. When you go home later today and you get curious and you read Galatians 5, you're going to see why. Because Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, just like any other church, it had its problems. And Paul was trying to show them what their faith should result in versus what they were doing. Who here messes up sometimes? Don't raise your hand. Somebody's looking. What we learn here is this. If you're serious about this relationship with God, if you're serious about this faith that you've stepped into, 
It's what you're going to start to look like. It's not going to be hard to love other people. It's not going to be hard to be patient. I mean, come on. You're going to start looking like this fruit. Matter of fact, you're not going to want to live like you have been. Because you have this fruit growing up in you. You're not going to want to look like that old person that you used to be. That's what Paul was talking about in the latter portion that we read from Galatians. It's amazing what happens when you desire to be set apart and to live like that. Isn't it amazing when God sets us free, he doesn't leave us there to figure it out? That's right. He sets us free. He forgives our sin. The Bible says he casts it as far as the east is from the west. And then he doesn't leave us there. He gives us the tools that we need. Now, before I get too deep or too far into it this morning, uh, let me point out just a couple things that so many of us get caught up in. Here we go. It's this picture of the perfect Christian. They don't exist. I've had friends that have left the church saying it was so full of hypocrisy. Well, yeah, it's a church. I mean, come on. It's people. One of the things I've learned over the past year, and you know, I, I love working with this staff. And Pastor Lisa and Pastor Annie, they come in and they, they do chapel services and they minister to the kids individually as needed. Uh, but Pastor Lisa blesses the kids at the end of every chapel service and she reminds them this, there's nothing that we could ever do to make God love us anymore or any less. What she's telling the kids is you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into God's grace. God gives it freely. God plants these fruits in us, but these fruits are our responsibility to nourish. They develop as our faith grows and as the Holy Spirit works in us. That's why they're fruit. God plants them within us, and he starts the process, but we have to nurture it. So what is goodness? Goodness is something that every believer should desire to produce. We'll get a better definition soon, don't worry. See, the world often has its own definitions on pretty much everything. And these definitions don't match up to what God intended in his, in his word. And you guys notice that sometimes? We're going to stay on topic with goodness. See, we try to define, and I say we as a culture, try to find good as something that we achieve through our own actions. That's just not the case. A couple months ago when Pastor Tom asked if I would preach this week on goodness, I was excited. One, I do like to preach. Uh, but two, it felt like he gave me the easy one. As leading a school, getting ready for a baby, and finishing off my master's, I'm like, yes, I'll take goodness. But as I dug in and started exploring goodness, I came to realize something. One, it was not going to be easy. It's okay. I was excited. I, I, I pulled up some commentaries. All of my commentaries are still in boxes because we had to move. Uh, and so I, I got some digital commentaries, and there was one by Martin Luther. And he's got a great one on Galatians. And so I, I bought that one, downloaded it onto the iPad, and started digging through in love. I'm like, yes, pages on love. Joy, like three full paragraphs on joy. Peace, so much insight from Martin Luther on peace. And then I got to goodness. This is what Martin Luther had to say about goodness in its entirety. A person is good when he is willing to help others in their need. That was it. 
Martin, come on, help a pastor out. I mean, he's, he's way sent in heaven. Here's the other point. Well, not really a point, but the other thing. The enemy has distorted through culture each of these fruits. As if there is this delusion that we can redefine what Christ wants to see in us. In goodness, oh my goodness. Goodness can be just as difficult as fruits like patience, self-control, peace. Because culturally we've used goodness as a measuring stick of what we can do. You're good enough to make it to heaven, trying to rack up actions to deserve an outcome. See, goodness isn't our common fruit. Goodness is not something that you can earn. Goodness is not an emotion that you can fake. And it is really hard to grow this one on your own. You know, I've seen people fake love. I've seen people fake joy. I've seen people fake kindness. I have toddlers, come on. It happens. But you can't fake goodness. You just can't do it. We're going to get to that here in just a moment. So what I decided early on, I was talking with Josh Burns, who isn't here today. It's okay. Uh, When I was crafting this, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I said, I'm going to give the main point right up front. He told me I was brave, but I trust you all. So I'm going to give you the the main point right now, but don't leave. Because you're going to miss what is hopefully a well-crafted, spirit-inspired sermon. We'll see. But here goes the ending. The main point, we are only good, meaning we can only show genuine goodness. We're only able to be considered good because of the goodness of God. He alone makes us good. There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves good people. We are born into sin. It's hard for some people to accept. We are born into sin. If you don't believe me, let's look at Psalm 51.5. The writer of the psalm says this, Behold, I was brought forth, here's a big word, in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. From the beginning, we need the goodness of God in our lives. We can't function without the goodness of God in our lives. We can't have any hope of heaven without the goodness of God in our lives. Let's look at Merriam-Webster's definition again of goodness. It's the quality of their state of being good. Without the work of Christ, we have no quality, we have no state of being good. It's why the enemy would lie to us and tell us we don't need a savior to get to heaven. He'd trip us up and say we, can't be, we can be just good enough. We can do good deeds. If we help enough old ladies cross the street just enough times, if we help the homeless, if we, we go to the soup kitchen and serve the food, if we work at the shelter, if we serve just enough, if we can do everything to try to prove how good we are, even trying to follow the rules on our own. You can show up to church every Sunday and have the book all figured out. But without Christ's good redemptive work, we are doomed to pay those wages of sin. I like this definition a little better. In a book on the fruit of the Spirit written by former superintendent of the Assemblies of God, Thomas Trask, 
and uh, Dr. Wade Goodall, who's one of our, I guess, leading theologians and scholars and teachers. Uh, he's, they say this, it says, God, good is the absence of defect or flaw and the presence of complete wholesomeness. Jesus said that only God is good. We can't do it. They're referring to Mark 10, verses 17 through 18, of course. says this, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. The man asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. No one is good except God alone. Now, we could go two ways with this type of sermon. I could pull out a billy club. But I don't think that's what Christ intended here. I think what Christ wants us to know is we have to kind of step into his goodness. We have to let his goodness through the power of the Holy Spirit flow through us. We have to let it grow. We have to let it kind of permeate. We have to let people see it. Matter of fact, if you look at the word goodness here in the Greek, you find the word agathosun. Now I'm going to let you in on a secret. I spent four and a half, almost five years in biblical studies at Evangel. It was some of the best time of my life. I also got married about a year, a year and a half in. Um, I took Greek. I took Hebrew. More importantly, what you need to understand is Greek and Hebrew took me. So agathosun, the Greek word translated goodness, was a rarely used word combining the definition of being good and the definition of doing good. It means kindness in action. That's what goodness here in Galatians is talking about. It's virtue equipped for action. It's the strong inclination to want to do and to actually do what is good. It produces generosity. It produces a a God-like state of being. not saying we're all gods. Don't misconstrue that. A God-like state of being that flows from heaven. Billy Graham defined goodness as used in Scripture to mean to be God-like. To be like God. He argues it's more than just doing good. More than acting like our vain actions could ever take the place of God. It's that deception again from the enemy that if we're good enough, we're set. It's not true. Reverend Graham said that the goodness is love in action. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to produce goodness in us that comes from the depths only found in the triune God. Do you know the term goodness here is only used 20 times in the Bible? And seeing how When I preached last October, I got a lot of feedback that 25 minutes was short. I decided not to go through all 20 times with you. But let me just point out a few examples where goodness in this term is used. Romans 15, 14, and it happens that all of these are from Paul. It's all right. He's my favorite guy. Romans 15, 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Notice here that this feeling with goodness wasn't for their own benefit. It enabled them to help each other. You'll notice a trend here when we talk about goodness. 
Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. As children of the light, which is God, we should show goodness. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 says this, To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like many of the other fruits we have explored this summer, and if you haven't done so yet, if you haven't caught all of our sermons, you need to go back and watch them. You're not uh, going to be disappointed. Don't worry. Goodness can never be defined by just what you say. Goodness is what you do. Goodness is a result of genuine, honest heart change. I mentioned earlier that you can't fake goodness. Goodness is the byproduct, the true byproduct of the goodness of God working in our lives. It's the result of the revolutionary and utterly distinct transformation of a heart, moving it from a place of darkness, emptiness, and loneliness to a place of freedom, peace, and true love for others. Paul's writing the church at Galatia and telling them that the result of their salvation in Christ should differentiate them from the rest of the world. They should be set apart. We as a church should be set apart. Their salvation starts this change And that is proven by the production and growth of this fruit. This fruit produces within us a good nature, a goodness that is the reflection of godliness. This is God's goodness, not ours. And here's where the light bulb moment comes, my aha moment. Goodness, goodness as we see here, is really a culmination of the fruits, all of the other fruits. It's not just my idea, like three other different commentaries all said the same thing, so... So how do we develop, how do we grow this good nature beyond nurturing the other fruits? I've got seven steps for you. Some of them we're going to cruise through, some of them we'll take a minute out. It'll be all right. We develop goodness, step one, by becoming what Jesus described as born again. Acknowledge Christ, confess your sins, and follow him. Let him take lead, it's okay. Let him take the wheel. Sorry, I couldn't let it go. All right. You need to accept God's goodness in your life before you can ever be counted as good. Here's step two. Allow the Holy Spirit to start bringing goodness into your life. Goodness is a gift from God. We did not sit down together as a team and plan out the worship set or what they would say on stage this morning. It's the Holy Spirit right there. Goodness is a gift from God. Let him define your life. He's going to start working things out in you. May not always be easy. But nothing of value, nothing that you ever attain of value is ever done easily. We're not talking a light switch experience where you accept Christ and all of a sudden you're that perfect person that we told you didn't exist. Remember the Holy Spirit is developing these fruits in our lives. Step number three. This one can be hard. Be willing to die to the sinful natures. As he develops these fruits, especially goodness, some things are going to start to stick out, and they're not going to feel good. And the Holy Spirit's going to start saying, hey, look at that. Let's get rid of that. And you're going to be like, I don't want to get rid of that. Bad habits, bad attitudes, things that are the exact opposite of good 
That's what Paul's talking about. It's where that pruning starts that we spoke about a few weeks ago. Step four, be disciplined in your walk. That can be hard. Sometimes it's hard to stay focused. But I encourage you to keep your focus on Christ. Keep your focus on Christ. Psalm 23, 6, the writer is saying this. He says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. So we have to want the goodness. We, want, we have to want this fruit to grow in our lives. It's not going to just happen if we don't cultivate it, if we don't practice it, if we don't let it grow. I have eight kids. One of my sons a few weeks ago ate an apple. Not really that extraordinary of an event, but he ate an apple. And he told me he wanted me to use his name today. So Ethan, right, they have a lot of faith in me because they all showed up in service today. So Ethan ate the apple the other day, and I'm like, what are you doing? Because I'm watching him collect all these seeds. And He saved the seeds because he was intent on growing an apple tree. He grabbed a bag of topsoil from the barn, got some plastic solo cups, put some dirt in them, put the seeds in there, and he's been watering them. He's been watching them, making sure they're safe from the rain. He believes he's going to see results. He recognizes it takes hard work. He's not sitting back expecting it to happen without putting in that hard work. He knew that if he wanted to see the results, he had to take the seed from the apple, plant it deep, care for it, nurture it, protect it from the storms, from the dogs, and from the four-year-old. And there's a story there with the dogs. Really quick. Uh, last year, before we had bought our house, I was traveling back and forth to Auburn, and I had bought a uh, giant sequoia sapling, and I had planted it in a five-gallon bucket, and the kids brought it into the mudroom because of the storms. Uh, there's personal reasons why I wanted to plant that at my place, but either way, I came home one day, and I saw the bucket in the mudroom, sitting sideways, completely empty. Uh, right when we took this position, my wife and daughter went and got two labs, little pups, they were great. I walk into the kitchen, and there's this, you know, six-month-old lab owning the world, walking through with my sequoia hanging from her mouth. Here's step number five. Right, we're going to just keep going. Use the manual. Man, we have a manual. It's amazing. The Word of God will tell you what it looks like to live in goodness. Psalm 119, verse 11 tells us, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sit against you. It's vital to our development. Step number six, we have to protect our thoughts. James 1, 14 through 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, we, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We've got to watch our hearts. It's hard to grow when all you think of is bad and negative things. It's all we dwell on is negative. If all that we ever dwell on is negative, guess what you're going to get? Here's my last step, step number seven. We're going to spend a minute here. We must practice goodness. It's not enough to say, well, God is good, and he's made me good. Hallelujah. Hmm. You know, I, I love blessing people. My wife and I have realized that life has been a better blessing for us as we've reached out and touched other people. Maybe that's why we've spent over 20 years in ministry. I don't know. I love showing others the goodness of God. 
One of the best ways to nurture this fruit is by showing God's goodness in all sincerity. I mentioned earlier that goodness was more than just wanting to do good things. It was actually doing them. See, we need to move from being to the doing. It's giving, it's serving, it's caring, it's loving. If you don't know where to start, 15 minutes after service, we have a meeting for your first opportunity to serve. It's doing all these things both inside and more often outside of our comfort zones. It develops in our lives when we move from the spoken into action. I have kind of a corny idea here just to kind of get you started. After church, after you've met a few people that you don't know, and you've sat down in the, uh, the cafeteria on the south campus, then when you get out to your car, practice goodness this way. Just sit there and wait for everybody else to leave. Maybe not. I don't know. Here's a serious question, though. What does your goodness reputation say about you? I want to give you just a few brief examples of how the church is good, because I know we don't see them a lot outside of these buildings. I read a uh, recent study by Barna that helped support this biblical fruit. It's not the only byproduct of goodness, but let's be honest, money is easily accounted for. Amongst Americans, 60% report giving to charitable causes. 60% of Americans, including religious and non-religious causes. That's amazing. We're a generous and giving nation. That's a good thing. When that sample looks at practicing Christians, that number jumps to 92%. Because we have fruit. As the big C Church of Christ. With 20% of those donations going to non-religious, it's okay, good. We're not just keeping it in the family. We're letting other people be blessed. They're like, well, that's easy. They drilled down a little bit deeper. Of that 20% that went to non-religious causes, it still far surpassed the amount given by the unchurched. It's amazing when God starts showing us goodness and we start acting on it. It's our testimony. And this goes beyond money. I wanted to find something else. I'm going to share this briefly. What about goodness in action? What about doing stuff? How do we measure up? How does the church measure up against society and being good? Because we are the only ones that can truly show goodness. Following the natural disaster of Hurricane Katrina, as part of a lessons learned report commissioned by then President Bush, then Assistant to the President for Homeland Security, Francis Townsend, stated plainly in the lessons learned report, faith-based organizations provided extraordinary services. These volunteers ran mobile kitchens and recovery sites. Many smaller faith-based organizations brought comfort and offered shelter to the survivors. They used their facilities and volunteers to distribute donated supplies to displaced persons and to meet their immediate needs. Local churches independently established hundreds of pop-up shelters to house storm victims. According to this report, churches, Christians, believers showed up in the tens of thousands to help, to show God's goodness. Mr. Townsend later on stated that FEMA was so overwhelmed that they didn't have the mechanism to pass on everything that the churches had collected and done. See, the church knows how to show up and show our goodness because our goodness is God's goodness. And a lot of times it does take the form of generosity and graciousness. Church, I would say that all that is possible. That despite our background and our history, the mess that God has brought each of us out of, that when we let his goodness permeate through our soul, when the Holy Spirit pours into us and plants the seeds of these fruits, we too can live lives of examples of the goodness of God. This fruit is possible in our lives as the direct work of the Holy Spirit. 
the book I mentioned earlier, former AG superintendent Thomas Trask states this. He said, goodness, it flows from our good God who is full of mercy, kindness, and love. Goodness is something we decide to do because we belong to him. In a world full of pain and heartache and hatred, we are asked to be good and to demonstrate God's good love. Although this may be difficult, it will show those around you that the gospel really does make a difference in a person's life. Goodness is being known as somebody that lives beyond Sunday. It's compassionate, giving, and selfless. I'd argue that the most basic definition of someone who shows goodness would include someone who demonstrates these fruits. We see that in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest, a good priest, was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite who was good and upheld all the rules. When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, the most hated in society, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a good neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. We show goodness, not because of our own actions, but in showing the very heart of Christ by showing mercy and compassion and representing Christ's goodness. Church, we get to do this. This is a fun fruit. We get to represent just how good God has been to us. I have three basic questions for you this morning. Three responses that I would ask you to consider. The first one is this. Is the goodness of God evident in your life? Is his goodness your testimony? Do you live this testimony? Is it noticeable? Does your reputation point to the goodness of God? Remember, we're only able to be good because God is good. Here's the second one. Are you practicing and nurturing this goodness? This goes a little deeper. The best way to let something grow is to feed it. That's why we keep feeding our kids. Find the small things. Do those first. It's easier to take small steps. Go out of your way to be good to that person. You know the one. Bless somebody with your words instead of the opposite. No kidding. Okay, leave the close parking spot at Walmart. All right, just do it. It'll be okay. Start focusing on some of these other fruits. Find your serve here at Word of Life. It's a great way to start showing goodness. Share with somebody just how good God has been in your life. Maybe you want to go back, watch this again, write down the seven steps I suggested, take them home, print them out, tape them to your walls. But start practicing and nursing God's goodness. My last question here before we go back into a time of worship is have you personally experienced the goodness of God? I want you to sit on that for a moment. Maybe God's speaking to you. 
if you stand with us. We're going to go back into a time of worship this morning.